The views and opinions expressed by guests on this program are not necessarily the views of Thinking Bigger Business Media, Inc. or its employees. Welcome to Smart Companies Thinking Bigger Radio. Get the inside scoop on how America's most successful business owners transform their entrepreneurial vision into reality. And listen in as some of the top business minds in the country serve up practical advice, tips, and insights for growing your business. Now, here's your host, Kelly Scanlon. Good morning. Welcome to Smart Companies Radio. I'm Kelly Scanlon, publisher of Thinking Bigger Business Media. Our guest today is Stephen Shapiro. For more than 20 years, Stephen has presented his provocative strategies on innovation culture and collaborations to audiences in nearly 50 countries. And during his tenure with Accenture, he's led a 20,000-person innovation practice. He's the author of five books, including Best Practices Are Stupid, don't you love that, which was named the Best Innovation and Creativity Book of 2011, and it's an international number one bestseller. He's been featured in many, many pieces of major media, including Newsweek, Entrepreneur Magazine, The Oprah Magazine, Wall Street Journal, ABC News, and the list goes on. He also has some very well-known clients, including 3M, Nike, Marriott, and a lot more there as well. In 2015, he was inducted into the Speaker Hall of Fame, and you can find out more about him at stephenshapiro.com, and we're very happy to have Stephen on the show today. Welcome. Uh, It's great to be here, Kelly. And I always love talking about innovation. It's such a buzzword, and so I think the first thing that we probably ought to do is define what innovation is, at least to you. What does innovation mean to you, Stephen? Well, and and you're right, it is a buzzword, and unfortunately, in most organizations, it's come to mean nothing. Right. and, and it often gets collapsed with new ideas and creativity and creating something for the sake of creating something. And it, it's, it really is none of that. I mean, look, new products, new processes are part of it. But to me, it really comes down to staying relevant. Uh, if you look at, you know, there are companies that have done some what would be called great innovations, but they failed to stay relevant. Mm. Kodak invented the digital camera. We know what's happened <laughs> to them. Yeah. Sears, you know, Sears at one time was uh, 15 times the size or 10 times the size of, of Walmart. Back in 1983, they were 10 times the size of Walmart. In the 60s, they were the 1% of the U.S. gross national product. So here's a company that was not just a large retailer. It was probably the dominant driver of the U.S. economy in the 60s. And today, after the acquisition by Kmart, Walmart is over 15 times the size of Kmart and Sears combined. That's not innovation, even though... There were a lot of things they did to change. It wasn't the right change. So it's about purposeful change to stay relevant in a changing marketplace. So what is the biggest mistake that you think organizations do make when it comes to innovation? You you cited some perfect examples of companies that didn't innovate properly. So what's the biggest mistake that companies like Sears and Kodak make? Well, I... I can summarize it in a fortune cookie I once got. It always makes me laugh when I think about I'm, I'm quoting you know, pastries. Uh, but it said, you always have the right answers. Hmm. They just sometimes answer the wrong questions. And I think this is really what it comes down to, is I think most organizations are not solving the right problems. They're not working on the right opportunities. And so what happens is, uh, in the past, they would do whatever they felt was right. And so their past becomes their future. Their past mm. success led to their future failure. So they basically bring what they've done previously 
forward into the future. Uh, and that is obviously a problem because your past doesn't necessarily mean that's the world's future. So that's one of the mistakes. And then today, in the name of innovation, to sort of overcome that, we've opened up this concept of innovation. We tell everybody inside of an organization that they need to innovate. And the problem is they're not necessarily working on the right innovations. They're not working on the things which truly set them apart. And so I'm a big believer that you want every person in your organization innovating, but you don't want them innovating everywhere. Not all problems, not all opportunities are equal. Mm -hmm. So I always say innovate where you differentiate. And you need to understand what is it that makes you special in the eyes of your customers, in the eyes of the market. It's not how you want to be perceived, but how are you perceived and how is that valued by the market? And then you want to rally all of your innovation efforts around those differentiators. Let's stay with that for a minute. When you talk about innovating where you differentiate and how, how can you make a difference, wh- how, how do you figure out what that is? Because going back to what you said earlier, which was very perceptive, and that is is that some companies fail because they almost had too much success doing what they thought what they were doing, and they think that's their future. So if you think that you're doing everything right right now, and you get into that habit of thinking that that's what's going to carry you into the future, how, how can you, I guess what I'm getting at is how can you objectively figure out what it is, where it is that you differentiate? Do you ask your customers? I mean, obviously you might be jaded if you ask people internally because what got you to this point of success may not be what carries you in the future. So how do you figure that out? Well, and you're spot on. Uh, you can't go internally. Uh, and, and it's always fascinating when I ask companies how they differentiate. Either top leadership will all align or they won't. In most cases, they don't. Regardless, it's sort of irrelevant. Uh, what the company thinks their differentiator is is not the, the, the real opportunity. It's trying to figure out what the market says the mm-hmm. differentiators and what it should be. And so, yes, you want to talk to your customers, but I actually think in many cases, more importantly, you want to talk to past customers, past clients, people you've done business with before that no longer do business with you. Find people you've never done business with before and find out why if they are actually part of your target market. Because uh, if you think about the number of people you're actually talking to, if you only focus on your current customers, most likely they're lagging indicators mm-hmm. in terms of what's going to be happening in the future. Yeah. So go ahead. We, we, we also need to understand, and it goes beyond just what customers think today, we need to understand changing demographics. So this is where part of it is to uh, use sort of a crystal ball of sorts to understand what are some of the trends that are taking place. Uh, if you're an automotive manufacturer, and you're not aware of the fact that self-driving cars are on the horizon and what the impact will uh, do to you, that's a problem. If you're a taxi company and you're not aware that something called Uber is coming around and is going to put you out of business, you've got a problem. So it, it, it goes beyond just who your customers are today. It's really thinking much larger. Yeah, it is. And it's so complicated in in many ways. It is kind of crystal ball-y because when some of these, especially with as fast as technology is changing today, you don't sometimes know what is just a fad in the marketplace that you really should fo- that you shouldn't follow or maybe take some lessons from it and then change it up a bit to make it your own or whether it's just going to fade away, you know, it's just a big old blip and some companies get into the trouble into the you know, situation where they have spent lots of money trying to copy somebody that 
is just a fading kind of thing. So so it is a little bit of a crystal ball effort, as you say. Nothing's ever exact, which actually uh, leads me to another question. And I, you have said before that expertise is actually the enemy of innovation. What do you mean by that? So there's you know, a lot of research that shows that the brain is wired for survival, not innovation. And that sort of makes sense. I mean, the reason why we have stayed alive as a species for so long is not because we're changing all the time, but rather because we're being careful and cautious. And so the brain is wired to perpetuate the past because the past is what kept us alive. And as a result, we build neural pathways in the brain to things that we've thought about for a long time or things that we think about a lot. And what this means is that our expertise is going to create blind spots. Uh, it's going to prevent us. It's not necessarily expert, the, the enemy of all innovation. Most innovation is actually created by experts. The thing is, those innovations are almost always incremental or adaptive innovations. They're built on the past. We're taking something we've done before and we're making it better. Yeah, you're adding some fruit to the cereal and calling it new and improved type of thing. Yeah, exactly. And so experts are brilliant at that because the peripheral vision necessary to develop those types of innovations is relatively small. But if you're really going to shake things up, this is where expertise gets in the way. And there's numerous studies that I could cite and my own experiences that show that the more you know about a topic, the harder it is for you to think differently about that topic uh, from a breakthrough perspective. Mm -hmm. And so there's a lot of things that we do with companies to help them really change the way they think about the opportunities that are in front of them. Yeah, I think one of the favorite exercises that going way back uh, to when I was in school that teachers would sometimes tell us to do in order to think differently is to open up a dictionary and the word at the very top of the left-hand page and the word at the very top of the right-hand page, put them together and, and make something out of that, you know, two totally different words and come up with uh, a paper on that. And it does make you, it breaks you out of your habitual way of thinking and trying to find some sort of similarities between two things that have nothing to do with each other. That's, that's a great technique. I mean, there's various types of creativity techniques. That's a variation of a morphological analysis where you're basically taking things that aren't necessarily going together and try to morph them together. Uh, the, what I like is actually something which is very purposeful, and it is actually what we found creates the greatest breakthroughs with the highest level of predictability, which is to, uh, instead of taking two random things together, we take two things that are adjacent. They're, mm. they're, I call them purposeful tangents. And I'll give you just a very simple example. So there's a group of uh, people who get together on a regular basis in Houston. Uh, it's called Pumps and Pipes. And basically what Pumps and Pipes is, it's a group of cardiologists who get together on a regular basis with people from the gas pipeline industry. Hmm. And if you think about it, I mean, basically you have people studying the cardiovascular system and people on the transmission of gas, they, they share something in common. And basically what they share in common is uh, the, the transmission of a fluid through a tube. So they're not two random groups. They're sharing innovations and insights from their respective areas, from biology and applying it to a mechanical world of gas transmission. And it, it's, it's really fascinating the breakthroughs that get developed through those types of collaborations. 
Yeah, I love it. And and the history is full of those types of collaborations, uh, doing that kind of an exercise. We're going to take a quick break. When we get back, we're going to be talking with Stephen Shapiro about his thoughts on failure, some of the other things that are necessary for innovations, and just other other things that you can do to create breakthroughs in your company. You're listening to Smart Companies Radio on Blog Talk Radio. We'll be right back. March 24th, the day you can nourish your body and your business at the Big Breakfast, a quarterly event spotlighting the entrepreneurs featured on the cover of Thinking Bigger Business magazine. They'll share stories from their own companies and advice that you can put to work in your business. Plus, you'll meet the staff of Thinking Bigger Business magazine and learn how you can become involved with the only publication in Kansas City that exclusively serves growth-minded small businesses. Find out more information and register at IThinkBigger.com. That's IThinkBigger.com. This is why you work so hard to pay the mortgage. Because home is more than four walls and a roof. It's that port swing on a summer night. It's pajamas with feet and everybody over for Sunday dinner. And that old stuffed chair in the living room you just can't get rid of. This is why you work a second job. This is why you learn to fix things yourself so you could save on repairs. Because home is your place, your memories, your family sleeping in their own beds at night. And that is why we want to help. We are making home affordable, a free government resource that can make paying the mortgage easier. And now even more options are available. Call 888-995-HOPE today. That's 888-995-HOPE. Or visit makinghomeaffordable.gov. Good night, Mama. This is why. Brought to you by the U.S. Treasury, HUD, and the Ad Council. Hi, I'm Tamika Bryant. And I'm Christy Porter. We're here to talk about real estate that matters. We're going to talk about everything real estate. Anything you want to know from buying a house to selling a house, from investing in real estate to flipping real estate. We invite you to listen every Thursday morning at 9 a.m. or on demand with our podcast. Right here on Smart Companies Thinking Bigger Radio at blogtalkradio.com. Just tune in at 9 o'clock Thursday. (laughs) Yeah, squirrel. (laughs) Can we just do that? 9 o'clock, don't touch it. Just sit by your radio and wait. Interested in growing your business? Thinking Bigger Business Media has the resources you need to grow your company to the next level, whether it's an aspiring business, a startup, established, or mature. Thinking Bigger provides the how-to strategies, critical connections, and key information to make your business more productive and more profitable. Check them out at IThinkBigger.com and find out what successful Kansas City business owners already know. Thinking Bigger Business Media is the resource for growing businesses. Visit them today at IThinkBigger.com. Good morning. Welcome back to Smart Companies Radio. I'm Kelly Scanlon, publisher of Thinking Bigger Business Media. We're visiting here this morning with Stephen Shapiro. Stephen has presented his strategies on innovation culture and collaborations to audiences in nearly 50 countries. I know in brainstorming that boundaries are not something that you want to talk about, but you really do in order you have to frame it uh, so that people can uh, get their arms around it better and come up with the viable solutions. And the other thing, the counterpart to that is If you ask employees to give you ideas and none of them are ever implemented, then they become frustrated and think, oh, nobody cares anyway. Nobody wants to know what I want to think. And it does just what it has the effect that you described where people just quit participating. And so it's just self-defeating. You're you're spot on. I mean, that's one of the big mistakes is they'll run these idea programs and they'll get a lot of junk and they don't implement it, Mm -hmm. so they implode. I want to come back to your point of boundaries because I think this one's really, really important. And I believe that creativity has killed innovation. 
Oh, wow. Uh, <laughs> That's great. Because, well, because we don't need more ideas. We need better solutions to important problems. And so creativity, this concept of let's sit around a, a flip chart and just brainstorm, that has destroyed companies. Because what it's done is this, it's tainted their perspective on what innovation really is. Innovation is not about ideas. It's an end-to-end process that starts with an issue, problem, challenge, or opportunity and ends with the creation of value. So boundaries, I could give you so many examples of how if you add boundaries to the, the opportunity, you increase the level of creativity, you increase the relevance to the market, and you reduce the amount of noise. All of these things are very good. Uh, you know, Einstein reputedly said, if I had an hour to save the world, I would spend 59 minutes defining the problem, one minute finding solutions. Yeah. And from my experience, most companies are running around spending 60 minutes on problems that don't matter. They're brainstorming. They're coming up with ideas. And that's the thing which destroys innovation, which is why it's such a dirty word right now. Give us an example of a company. You said you had several. Give us one of the examples of a company that succeeded in this regard. Well, I'll give you one. One of my favorites, just in terms of the aha that goes along with it, is uh, one of the U.S. airports that uh, was struggling with uh, the, the, the amount of time it took with the baggage claim process. So what they did was they did some studies, and they found that it was about 15 to 20 minutes from the time that the cargo doors opened on the plane till the bags arrived at the baggage carousel. And people were complaining. And so they took to the task of trying to speed up the bags. Logical thing to do. They went off and the solution involved uh, faster conveyor belts, expensive technology, more baggage handlers. And they managed to get it from 15 to 20 minutes down to eight to 10 minutes. Huge success. Everybody's excited. We cut it down in half. And then they asked the passengers, what's your biggest complaint? And everybody was still complaining about the baggage (laughs) process. Still too long. Still too long. And you know how this works, Kelly. I mean, if, if it took them that much time, money, and energy to get it to eight minutes, to get it to seven, six, or five, prohibitively expensive. Mm-hmm. And then they had an epiphany. It took the bags eight to ten minutes to get from the plane to the baggage carousel. But at this particular airport, it only took the passengers one to three minutes to get from the plane <laughs> to the baggage carousel. So they're being too efficient with the passenger unloading. <laughs> well, exactly. So instead of speeding up the bags... They slowed down the mm-hmm. passengers. They literally reconfigured the airport so it would take passengers on average eight to ten minutes to walk from the plane <laughs> to the baggage carousel. And what this did was now when passengers get to the baggage carousel, their bags are waiting. And the, the reason why I love this example is, first of all, the problem was not speeding up the bags. The problem was wait time. Mm-hmm. Wait mm-hmm. time is a different problem than speeding up bags. And so what happens, though, is we spend our entire lives in business trying to speed up bags when, in fact, maybe the answer is to slow down the passengers. But if we don't change the question, we will never find those solutions. So it's not about thinking outside the box. I say don't think outside the box. Find a better box. Stop speeding up the passengers when sl- speeding up the bags when slowing down the passengers is the right answer. That is really the key to innovation is asking the right questions the right way to the right people. And once you start doing this, we've seen a tenfold or better improvement in innovation ROI. Yeah, I love that example. I'm so glad you used that one. Uh, these days, we have this culture of failure, that it's okay to fail. Fail fast, but it's okay to fail. Learn from it and go on to the next 
idea, the next uh, company that you want to start. What are your ideas on failure, and is it a necessary part of being able to innovate? I think that failure is occasionally a necessary evil, but it is not something to be over-glorified the way I think we have. Because we're, it's almost like in the world of innovation, oh, if you're not failing, you're not trying hard enough. And I don't believe that. Uh, to me, the key is not failure, but experimentation. Mm. And if you think about experimentation, small, scalable experiments, experiments only fail when you are unable to prove or disprove a hypothesis. So if you have a hypothesis, hey, this is a great idea, let's test it out. If you disprove the hypothesis that this is a great idea, that's not a failure. That's a huge success. Right. And I think the biggest mistake that we make is either we don't experiment, we just believe it's true, a great idea, we go forward with it, or when we run our experiments, we run experiments that are designed to prove what we believe to be true. Think about it. What we're trying to do is prove that this is a good idea. Very rarely do we run experiments that are specifically designed to disprove what we believe to be true. Yes, and that's where the whole blinders thing comes in again, is that if, if then you're blinded to the, the things that could go wrong once you're actually putting money into this enterprise that you're trying to create. It, it all, I mean, it, it, this is all the brain's doing. I mean, because confirmation bias mm-hmm. is going to kick in, which basically means we only receive evidence that supports our beliefs and our hypotheses. And so this is a natural thing for us. And I, I, I'll close this part with a quote from Scott Cook from Intuit. I love this. He said, for each of our failures, we had spreadsheets that looked awesome. <laughs> I love it. Brilliant. I love that. Oh, I love it. Okay, so we've talked about failure. One of the things that you talk about is uh, best practices are stupid. In fact, you even have a book that's titled that. Uh, why are best practices stupid? You, you would think that if uh, you want to avoid failure that you would look at what some other people have done that have been successful. I'll give you three short reasons. One is replication is not innovation. So if you're trying to replicate what someone else is doing and that is your innovation strategy, you're playing a game of catch-up. You mm-hmm. can't catch up to someone. By the time you implement their best practice, they're on to the next practice. It's the other two that I think are, are even more interesting, though. Uh, one has to do with the fact that what will work for one company doesn't necessarily work for another company. True. 3M. I've done a lot of work with 3M. They have their 15% rule that gives their employees 15% of their time to work on projects that might not be within their product line. Other companies that have tried to do this have basically wasted 15% of their budget because 3M's culture understands at a deep ingrained level how to do this. So you can't just plop in a practice into another company and expect it to work. And then the third reason is just the fact that we never really truly know whether or not a practice we're, we're copying is the practice that made a company successful. And there's something called the undersampling of failure, which is basically where uh, for each of the successes that we've seen, and we go to these conferences and somebody said, we tried this and it worked, there are probably hundreds and hundreds of companies that did exactly the same thing and failed. So maybe it wasn't that practice that made them successful. It might have been something else. Might that been that practice in conjunction with other things? So we just need to be clear that what we're doing with best practices is we're 
I'm not against them. I'm mm-hmm. absolutely not against them. We don't want to reinvent the wheel, but we only want to use them for things that aren't strategic, and we want to go in with our eyes wide open. Absolutely. Now, the as we close up here, if you could leave our audience with one thought today to go out and, and improve their businesses, what would it be? I really think the main thing is question your question. Mm. Uh, what are you working on? Uh, if you have an idea, why are you working on this idea? Uh, is there a, a Are you solving the right problem and have you reframed it? So question your questions to me is the key to uh, proper innovation. Okay. And if anybody would like to get a hold of your books or if they'd like to find out more about you, is your website, stephenshapiro.com, the best place to go? It is stephenshapiro.com. That's Stephen with a P-H, S-T-E-P-H-E-N. You can go there. You can learn about best practices are stupid, my personality poker card game, and a bunch of other cool things that I have. All right. Thank you so much for sharing your ideas today, and uh, good luck with everything that you're doing. If you'd like to learn more about how to grow your business, please visit our website at ithinkbigger.com. Follow us on Facebook, Thinking Bigger Business Media, or on Twitter at I Think Bigger. Have a great weekend. We'll see you next week. This podcast is a part of the C-Suite Radio Network. For more top business podcasts, visit c-suiteradio.com.